Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking to Barrow Shun. He's the guest lecturer at Kyo University in Tokyo, teaching esports business since 2018. Barrow, thanks for joining the show. Thank you, Mitch, for having me today. Barrow is also the founder of an esports advisory company at a big four consultancy firm based in Tokyo, and he recently published a book as well called Demystifying Esports. The goal of that book is to explain what esports and gaming in general is to parents who only know it through seeing their kids play video games, often for many hours at a time. We once, a long time ago on this podcast feed, if you're a listener who remembers this podcast, shout out to you. We did a podcast on how to explain esports to friends and parents. It was simply me ranting into a mic trying to explain some of the topics that I've found successful in explaining this to parents. And now I'm happy to have an actual expert who can help explain what esports is. I imagine that all our listeners on who have listened to 135 episodes of an esports podcast probably don't need the industry to be demystified, but we all have people in our lives, parents, friends, colleagues, who don't totally understand what esports is. And so that's going to be part of our goal here. Then we're also going to look uh, at esports, how esports is being approached in higher education as well, with Barrow being a guest lecturer at Cairo University, like we mentioned. So starting off with the book, why did you want to write the book, Demystifying Esports? What was the moment that you were like, okay, this is a book that needs to be done? Yeah, that's a great question, Mitch. So uh, as you already said, I started this uh, esports advisory about two, a little more than two years ago at this uh, big four consulting firm, and which was uh, the first time ever. And often, you know, I encounter a lot of people, I'm, I'm sure this has happened to a lot of people, but from a business uh, scene there were a lot of people who might have heard about it, but they don't really know about it. Oh, that's like, oh, that's a game thing, you know? And it the conversation kind of stops there. So that was that. But then, you know, I thought this was maybe some sort of a, a business problem that I need to solve it. And, uh, you know, the more they understand that the more they, they see the opportunity in terms of business-wise for, for their own. So they tried to do more, you know, maybe try to establish a new business strategy and we, we, which we can help. And so I, long, I, I used to think along the business side of it, but then uh, my my mother-in-law, uh, she still thinks that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, gaming is evil. And she kind of <laughs> <laughs> flipped with my, uh, I have two boys, uh, six and eight, who's their avid uh, Fortnite players. And she kind of flipped <laughs> one day after seeing them playing too much. And she pretty much, uh, she, she actually cut one of uh, my younger son's uh, power charge code of the uh, oh no of, of a switch and this was like holy shit you know <laughs> this actually happened so i got to do something about it so that was really the moment that i realized okay i got to do something about this because you know with this generation generational gap like my son's gaming is you know they're part of their everything at this point and but on the other hand my uh, mother-in-law my, my parents in the above generation they have either minimal or no gaming experience at all so we have this clear generation gap so i thought maybe this is a more of a generational problem so uh, i thought maybe the best way to bridge that gap is to write uh, a, a book because that's a medium that you know book, uh, paper back book is a medium that uh, you know older generation is more familiar with uh, and re reading through so i decided to write a book and i happen to you know uh, uh i'm originally from korea south korea and i grew up 
when uh, StarCraft was taking off in the 90s, and I've seen all that. So I wanted to tell the narrative of this, you know, from a historical point of view, like how it really took off and got off as a, as a solid industry after you know, two decades. So, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of takes on how to explain esports, but I wanted to take, my take was on the historical side of it. Absolutely. That's a, that's a really interesting story and probably not too unfamiliar to a lot of people. I remember quite a few. Uh, I think a controller was definitely broken in my household when I, I, a Game Boy was absolutely broken when I wouldn't get off playing Pokemon when I was like 10 or 11. Uh, it's tough. It, it's so it goes. I feel like a lot of people have had that experience. Uh, and you also mentioned the business side too. So whether you're trying to explain esports to a parent who doesn't totally understand it, or maybe to a boss who you recognize, hey, there are opportunities for our company to embrace gaming or embrace esports. And if they're not totally getting it, that mm-hmm. could be a, a tough challenge too. So I think we all have somebody in our lives who we hope would better understand what esports is and what gaming is. Mm-hmm. What are the most common misconceptions that you see about esports? You know, esports is a pretty catch-all term for quite a few drivers of games uh, that are popular in different regions, that are popular on different platforms. But overall, what are some of the most common misconceptions you see that people have towards gaming? And why do you think... Uh, they have those, and why are they potentially harmful? That's a great question, Mitch. So, uh, at least, so I'm based in Tokyo, as you said, and uh, as at least the people that I see around often, uh, the the like the misconception that they have is that whether you can, like you know, being an esports player can be an actual job. I think that's one of the you know questions that I get a lot here. Uh, as you know, Japan as a as a gaming nation, it's they you can see a lot of people playing games, but in terms of esports, like esports athletes, uh, it's it's really starting to take off. So that you know, it's still in, in their people's conception, it's still they can still you know hard to get their heads around whether this could be a full time job, right? So it's for me, it's that part to you know make them understand that this is an actual job, just like YouTubers nowadays or Twitch, Twitch you know streamers that something new. And this can be a, if you're good at it, this could be a full-time job. And, you know, and if you're really good at it, uh, people look up to you and you're going to have a lot of fans and, you know, this could be a very long lasting career. And to some people, this, uh, who's not familiar with this scene, this is a very, uh, you know, hard to understand kind of concept. So I try to, uh, you know, make them understand through the history part of it. Uh, this, this didn't happen overnight. <clears throat> like this actually happened over, a uh, a couple of decades and uh, we're actually seeing uh, you know at the <laughs> at the peak of it perhaps and and uh, that's that's one of the challenges thing I've, I've seen so far I don't know if that answers your questions definitely you have to wonder if back in like the early part of the last century people had the same approach towards sports Mm-hmm. where there was very few sports leagues, at least uh, you know, I come from this from a North American centric point of view. The only sports league that existed in like 1920 was the MLB. Mm-hmm. Uh, no NFL at the time, no NBA, none of that. So yeah. you have to wonder if people saw early athletes and were like, oh, you're going to, you're going to make a career out of playing a game. There's no way you could do that. And we might have some similar attitudes now in esports where it's just starting out and because that wasn't a thing that they could do in their generation they don't realize that it's a thing that's now become open to a new generation of kids you know that's a great point mitch so 
you know, similar story. So there was a uh, very uh, popular TV drama that happened early this year. Was it this year? Or it was actually last year. It was about actually the traditional sports story. So how the first Tokyo, Tokyo Olympics was held back in those days. And back in those days, still, as you said, traditional sports wasn't considered as a, you know, as a full-time occupation, etc. There wasn't professional scene, etc. So you know, uh, pretty much a similar, same episodes, same thing is happening right now, but more towards on the digital side. And, you know, it's, I think the narrative is very similar, as you said, Mitch. It's interesting how that happens almost every generation. And mm-hmm. People are, you know, even in our parents' generation, they were playing with computers. People were like, well, what is that? What are you doing there? Uh, how is that going to lead to anything? And it's like, oh, now it's all the biggest companies in the world. Right. Uh, I think people are just so used to what, existed while they were growing up that if right. there's an entirely new section or mm-hmm. a new industry that's cropped up it, it's hard for them to wrap their brains around it and be like oh, okay yeah this this makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. have you seen people's attitudes start to shift recently there's no doubt that esports and gaming has gone through a big mainstreaming and you know i think that mainstreaming happened earlier over in asia metro from south korea and mm-hmm. the korean government created uh, an esports association in the year 2000 so there's mm-hmm. been know early adopters on video games uh and then obviously in japan you've got nintendo uh who's <laughs> been a flagship of gaming for uh almost three no oh, over three decades now which is absolutely crazy yeah. to think about yeah, have you seen people's attitudes towards gaming shift at all or do we still have quite a way to go for the older generation to start accepting video games as a legitimate pastime and a legitimate industry yeah, so so in Japan, I think we still have a way to go, but we have some very good uh, uh, reactions at the moment. So, as you said, you know, in Korea we had that uh, KESPA Korean Esports Association, and we we have something similar in Japan here now as well. It's called JSU Japanese Esports Union, and that was established in 2018. And they consider uh, that the Japanese esports scene started from 2018, and since 2018, we've seen. Uh, influx of um, a lot of media exposure about esports, a lot of events going on, uh, a lot of industry uh, activities going on. So it's pretty much since 2018, uh, in the media, esports is pretty easily uh, found. So I think in that sense, uh, and also from from my uh, from my uh, business perspective as well, like as a, my clients has been increased a lot since then. And uh, there are a lot of uh, clients who's interested in, like, try to be involved in the esports uh, industry, try to get get inside of it, whether uh, either as a marketing side or as a new business side. So I think in that sense, we have a really good start. But uh, still, like, if you consider, like, say, uh, maybe maybe who's not heavily involved in the business side, but, you know, uh, maybe a slightly older generation, I think still they have a less exposure to what it is and they have still... Uh, you know, limited opportunity to, you know, get to actually know what it is. So I, I think there's still a way to go. But I, I, what, what I've seen, t- for example, two years ago, and what I see now, is, it's a complete change. It's, so I, I think we're on a good, good track in Japan. Definitely. It feels like we've reached a point where every brand, at least, uh, you know, the... I guess the cart caught up to the horse in some way where everybody saw enough brands started entering the space that mm-hmm. other brands were like, Oh wait, they're here. Okay. We need to have our own esports strategy. And now right. at this point, almost every major brand 
either is involved in esports in some way or is considering how do we get involved in gaming? How do we, what, where are we at on esports? They're at least having those conversations. And even just four or five years ago, those conversations were just non-starters in, in most bright offices, at least from my perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and actually the, also the COVID pandemic helped a lot in that sense with all the traditional sports being you know suspended and all that. Uh, like we have a way more, uh, you know, interest from the uh, corporate side of how to be involved in the esports scene. So, you know, that goes along that side. It's true. I actually had, so I, I'm based in Las Vegas, as listeners of this podcast know, and I had a really funny experience and I'm sure you guys are sick of me hearing talk about this one experience, but it was, it was impactful. Uh, and I, in about February, March, right before the pandemic took hold, I was talking to Joe Asher, the CEO of William Hill. Uh, which is one of the leading sports book operators. It's like, hey, where are you guys at on esports? Do you care? He's like, ah, no, we don't care. It's, uh, you know, uh, sports betting is being legalized in different states uh, around the U.S. right now. He's like, that's our main focus. I'm like, fair, makes sense. Well, about two months later, he's quoted in a New York Times article. This is two months into the pandemic. And he's like, our esports handle has been massive. We, uh, we've seen a ton of people want to bet on esports all over the place. And it was just a crazy flip seeing him be like very dismissive towards esports, And I was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's reasonable from your perspective. Sure. You got other things to worry about. Uh, and then the pandemic takes hold casinos close sports books are on hold and suddenly esports is the only game in town. And he's super huge on it. And that's the kind of exposure that the yeah. COVID pandemic created, where it's just people who normally had all these other things to focus on suddenly have those leave their plate and like, ah, oh, I guess we can look at that esports thing now. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see the lasting ramifications on esports. It feels like a lot of people who created esports strategies during this time aren't going to just abandon those when we return to normalcy, whenever that might be. Mm -hmm. Oh, I totally agree with you. Uh, same same thing in Japan. Like a lot of the sports league here, they adopted very graciously and very speedily on how to adopt the esports strategy. Uh, so with all the sports league being suspended and all that, so they had a couple of online. Uh, you know, charity event on COVID and, you know, on, on a game that has nothing to do with their own sports team, but, you know, uh, just for the sake of it. And that's how they start to get, you know, be involved in that scene. And they get to learn that, oh, this is a very effective way of reaching their fans or increase their fans as a completely different area, a completely different sector. And it's been just growing since then. So I, I yeah, and, and this is, I'm, I'm sure this is happening worldwide. Absolutely. It seems like there's, quite a few conversations. I actually just earlier did a podcast with somebody based in Belgium and he's, his company has been helping build these types of leagues for the Swiss pro league, the Belgian pro league, the world bowling federation, and some of these sports entities. And uh, he basically said the same thing. So yeah, I think it really is, mm -hmm. you know, we've got North America, Belgium, and Japan now represented all, <laughs> all of my conversations today. So I think you can call it worldwide at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> Um, I also wanted to getting back to the uh, explaining to parents. It's such an interesting topic, and we have this on the college. And I'm probably going to publish this on the college esports feed in addition mm -hmm. to the esports network feed. So I think it's a relevant discussion, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the class you teach. Uh, but before that, I want to uh, go back to your mother-in-law real quick. Yeah, and uh, I think it's especially for parents whose kids are avid gamers. And they want to support them, but also develop healthy habits because, right. you know, it's not necessarily good for a kid to play eight hours of Fortnite every day. They, they should be able to play some and they're with their friends and all that. 
when you have tips for parents whose kids are playing a lot of video games and they're like, hey, we don't want to be like maybe as dramatic as cutting a uh, Nintendo Switch charging cord, just as a hypothetical. Um, <laughs> but we do want to maybe set some healthy boundaries. What advice could you give to parents uh, who want to, who are okay with their kids to play games, but also want to make sure that it's a healthy habit that they, right. that they enjoy, a healthy hobby? Right, that's a great question, Miss. I mean, I, 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 as a parent and also a, a gamer who, who grew up with, you know, Super Nintendo and PlayStation and all that, I also have mixed feelings at, at the, since the point I became a father. Like, if I see my kids playing hours and they don't care about their homework, it kind of, you know, <laughs> it bothers me a lot. So I, I think there's that boundary as a, as a parent that you want to give them a good guidance, but at the same time, you don't want to, you know... Uh, you don't want to frustrate them or just discourage them on playing games because it's it's not only entertainment nowadays game itself it it has become more than that not just a personal entertainment but more of a uh, now it's, it's a very valid communication tool as well and also a lot of learning uh, contents in it so my suggestion is that so a lot 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 of the so for example my mother-in-law she doesn't understand what it is but she has the interest to know a little more about it because her grandchildren are so into it and basically they're, they're taking over the television. So she can't watch anything <laughs> anyway. So, uh, so what often she does is that uh, normally is that they try to, you know, set some rules that, okay, today you're only going to play an hour or maybe an hour a day. And what often uh, that creates is that it kind of creates a sort of a conflicts to our to my sons because you know for example if you're playing Fortnite, some some rounds can be as long as you know a half an hour but some hour, some rounds can be quite short and that doesn't really fit into that one hour block right so you may be in the middle of a very important you know round that you can't really take you know turn off or just you know log off you, you just can't do that because you're playing with other people but then you know uh your grandmother says that you got you got to stop because it's, it's it's already hitting an hour mark so I think that's where the really the upsetting part starts from the player perspective as a kid. Like, what, why is this happening? You know, and I don't want to. You know, I don't want to stop. And so I think one one way to get around is that it's not by setting rules by hours or time, strictly speaking. So it's, it's more like setting rules based on you know what makes sense to that game per se. So for example, if it's a Fortnite, uh, you know, it could be, you know, you can set up a rule as say, maybe you do a couple of rounds, maybe three rounds today or four rounds, or it could be a one long round today and then we'll move on. But sometimes it could be a longer than one hour, but then you can, okay, maybe today, because it was very important round, I understand you'll do a little more than that, but maybe the next day or a day or two, there'll be a day that you'll be, that the kid may be, you know, okay to do maybe a shorter rounds because, you know, last time they did a longer round. So that kind of a communication and also a parent and children negotiation, I think that's a really good start of having a healthy communication. And in order to do so, it's also encouraging for the parents to understand at least the rules of the game, what's going on to understand. So, I mean, you know, games like soccer game, FIFA, it's really easy to understand. And, you know, it's, they already know the rules and also racing games. It's also easy to understand, but if it comes to like Fortnite or say League of Legends or Dota 2, that sort of like real time strategy, they need to understand a little bit about what's going on. And, you know, they don't need to play it. Right. If you, uh, if it's understanding the, the rules and just by looking at their, you know, children playing, that's one way of starting to learn it and, you know, ask them questions like, oh, what, what does that mean? How, how did you win? Or, 
what does that mean? You know, like just try to learn, say, uh, say, uh, I don't know, American football for, for the first time, if you're not familiar with it. So, you know, I, I think that's a probably a very uh, healthy way of being engaged with your kids or grandchildren uh, who's very avid gamers and try to have a conversation based on uh, uh, gaming. <laughs> that's my take on it. I absolutely agree. I think just the showing a level of understanding about the game mm-hmm. is going to go a really long way. It'd be like, hey, okay, if you get a victory royale, well, let's end on a high note. So yeah. if you if you get a win in this round, then that's it. That's going to take you 20, 25 minutes. Uh, but if you take it, if you lose right now, you lose right off the jump. You go right into tilt or, uh, right. or the towers or whatever. You <laughs> drop to the, I don't know what's big in Fortnite anymore. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you get killed immediately. Well, then, okay, you get eliminated immediately. You get to go right back in and you get to play again. But uh, right. you only get three of those. You only get three. If you insist on dropping tilted, well, you said you're not good enough to, to stick in. So you're right. going to. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's That's like what be. happened because yeah, it's funny. It was something along that line, right? So, like my younger son, who's six years old, he's really into like items, right? Collecting good items. So he wanted this gold, like like sniper rifle, for example. And you know, it's for example, say he got this, but then the time hit, and then say your time is up, you gotta you gotta quit, <laughs> and you know he's he's for sure he's gonna cry. So you don't want to you don't want to want that happen. So give him a, cut, cut him some slacks. Maybe give him another ten or fifteen minutes and let him play, and maybe get a victory royale out of that. And then you know you know how they feel once they get a victory royale. They that confident boost that you know all of a sudden that motivational energy that came out and that is out. Then you can try to as a parent you can try to shift that towards something more. I don't know maybe they do homework, they clean up the room, etc. So sort of that kind of a. I think shaping uh, is kind of possible. I think so, for sure. I see it a lot. You mentioned League of Legends, and I'm sure that's been the, a sore point for quite a few parents. Uh, my brother is the big League fan in our family, and he's, I think he's well up into plat at this point. So he's taking the game fairly seriously at this point. Yeah. And League of Legends games go about, what, 30 to 45 yeah. minutes usually? Right, right. At, and it's hard because he's like, I literally cannot leave during this time. Like you come in, you want to say something to me, I can't do it. Like I right. am, I am here. I'm so did here. Like I would play basketball or something. And my parents just don't understand that. That means like he can't answer questions at the current right. time. Like right. he's he's trying to concentrate. He's trying to focus. And, exactly. You know, maybe he plays too much. Maybe he's grinding a little bit too much and letting it affect his mood. Saying, so, yeah, I'm calling you out. But uh, he's that's it takes a level of understanding and it takes a yeah. level to be like, Hey, right after this game. Okay. You're done. You're going to come do this or actually watching it being like, Hey, that was nice. Good moment. And then, you know, you could tell when there's a gap in the game, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with the game, even just watching for a little while, you could be like, Oh, you just died. Okay, cool. I can talk to you right now. So, yeah. Hey, I, I noticed you just died. <laughs> right. uh, here's a question I have for you. Yeah. And what are they going to say? Right. What are they going to say? <laughs> no, I didn't just die. No, they see that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Gaming parents are going to be able to connect, at least showing it and understanding. Like you mentioned, American football. It's a very complicated game. And mm-hmm. we just kind of assume people understand how it works. And, mm. uh, you know, that same level of understanding needs to be applied to gaming if you want to understand where your kids are at. And it's, 
they may look really complicated and confusing. Like, you don't need to know all 120 League of Legends characters, but you can understand stages of the game, what it looks like, you know, what they're trying to do. Exactly. Uh, just for a level of connection there. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a that's a whole, you know, it's exactly the same thing, right? And then especially if you have a gaming kid in the house, he could be a great person to ask about what does this mean and what does that mean? And just to get the general idea of the, the, the overall rule about it. And you may not know about the, the, the actual skills and, you know, the champion skills, etc. What's a good combination of champion, this and that. That's that maybe a little too detailed, but overall, like how to win and what is important and, you know, uh, why, why we are <laughs> very into it in this you know, modern day. And I think that's a really good start as a, as, a, as a parent or a grandparent to actually just to be involved in this scene. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Uh, yeah, just just also just showing an interest in learning about it goes a very long way, I think, as well. So it's the end of my day, but it's the start of yours over in Japan. So let's uh, <laughs> let's move, keep this moving a little bit uh, because I'm sure you have other things to do today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about esports in higher education. We so we have the college esports feed, and in that feed, we're covering a lot of uh, the different organizations that are competing in college esports, but we're also covering some of the academic mm-hmm. uh, studies that come out that focus on gaming or esports at large. And I'm curious to know from your perspective, how you approach your esports business class. Do you go into it assuming students have some baseline knowledge of what esports is uh, and you're trying to specialize and give some high level thoughts or are you doing it more as a primer for, okay, you're interested in general business. This is a new industry. This is a section you should be aware of what's your sort of mindset and approach as you enter one of your classes yeah that's uh, so so easy answer is actually both a little both so uh the very first thing as esports advisory local here that we did that we started was uh, actually on education so we uh collaborated with the KO university and started providing a esports dedicated course that was pretty much the first time that happened in japan it turned out and uh, the way it worked out is that it's a it's a semester course, right? And four weeks, fourteen weeks. And as a as a consultant, we give at the very beginning we give a big picture of the industry, about the numbers and how the market is growing o- overall. Uh, you know the usual talk. But what's important is that we introduce the uh, the business ecosystem that how many stakeholders in terms of business, different business, are involved in this industry. And for example, uh, we have, you know, of course, the game publishers, but we have the event organizers, the teams, the players, the sponsors, the uh, the, the platforms, uh, the broadcasting platforms, the facility businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, we can go on and on if you consider all the entire ecosystem and the, uh, you know, the auxiliary business around it. And uh, that was, that's the first, probably the introductory, the first two weeks. And then the, the later on from the third week and onward we invite guest speakers from this individual uh, uh stakeholders within the esports business so that's just so that we get to learn about what they do what they're thinking what there's what their issues what their problem uh, you know as as they're actually doing the business within the esports uh uh scene so for example we had a we had great, great guest speakers. For example, uh, we had an event organizer, a CyberSat. Uh, we had an esports team, professional team. A coach was here. We had uh, Alibaba as organizer. We had a Microsoft. We had HP, who's provided the gaming PC. 
and the HP Action Pod, uh, their actual gaming PC, uh, one of the series, which was really cool. And, and uh, we had a uh, actually a drone racing team also be involved as well. Uh, and and it, the, the, the list goes on and, and on. And just, just hearing their story about it, uh, how they started and how they be ser- how they got serious, and what are the still the issues they try to overcome. Uh, it's just very fascinating and students to learn a lot about, you know, about the industry. And at the end of the last week, uh, the last week is, a, you know, we do a final presentation. I mean, not us, but the students. So it's like sort of the final pitch. So they team up and they decide, uh, you know, it's basically, it's part of the consulting uh, practice. Like, you know, like think of, think like a consultant. And what if they try to pitch to a client where whether that you know either of the client being uh, one of the stakeholders within the echo esports ecosystem, what would what would their pitch be? And that's the topic, right? So uh, say for example, if they're gonna pitch to say a hardware making company, uh, this is their idea uh, about how to start the esports business. And actually, the final day we have all the guest speakers join us, and so that we have actual very very uh, active Q and A going on, and also another. Uh, reason for that is that we also try to connect this, uh, you know, uh, prospective, you know, students who's interested in their, you know, future career of working for with one of those companies. So that could be a very good starting point to have an early conversation of their, uh, you know, aligning their future career and such that maybe, you know, if they have a good alignment, maybe maybe they'll actually work for that company. So in that sense, we've been uh, trying to be an enabler, uh, like a sort of an orchestrator. We don't, you know, we don't have, we're not a direct stakeholder in terms of the esports business. We don't do any direct business as a stakeholder, but we help the stakeholders within the business and try to invite them and try to let the students know about what there's a lot of things going on. And it's not only about being good at playing games, there's a lot of business profession behind it. And you don't have to be a good game player uh, you could be still very good uh, event organizer, or you could be a good platform, a business provider, or et cetera. So the, the list goes forever. So that's sort of the big picture that we try to provide it. And we've been doing that for over two years now. That's super interesting. And uh, I think it's a very valuable course. Uh, you sometimes see discourse around esports degrees, which I think mm-hmm. uh, is a bit ill represented because you hear these like entire degree programs all focused around esports which people are like that just was not ever necessary in esports in the past we don't feel like making it necessary but at the same time if you're getting a degree and you have a course on esports i think that's a big difference and sometimes the two can be conflated an esports course where you spend like you said a semester focusing on esports business and esports business applications and it's part of a much larger framework of what you're studying in school is a lot different than doing a two-year or four-year degree where you're only talking about esports which is what a lot of people sometimes will talk down on but then they'll frame that around esports courses and i think that's always a uh a misnomer it's not really a great representation because esports is a very complicated industry and getting the people like you mentioned alibaba microsoft esports organizations talking to people is really really beneficial i wish that i had a class like that coming out of school i had to learn all of that on the fly after coming out of school i was like okay yeah. i like video games i think this esports thing is pretty cool yeah what have i learned like what is this industry and then i had to go back in time i was like oh this started in 2000 in korea oh crap i have a lot of history to learn about <laughs> uh, 
that was like my first six months in the space was just learning about the history of all these various esports. And it would have been great to have that be covered in an actual course while I was at university. That just wasn't a wasn't an option. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was a, it was really well received, you know, in that sense. So we started off as a, you know, we didn't honestly, when we first started, we didn't know how, you know, like reactive this is going to be. And so we started kind of small with the, uh, it, we started as a grad level course. And it was like, you know, uh, like maybe max, we were expecting maybe 10 people, but actually 20 people showed up and half of them were undergrad students. And they said they didn't they didn't need any credit. They all just like to sit in and they just had to sit in because they never seen this kind of course. So it's like, okay. And it was also very well received in terms of media as well. So we had a couple of television channel came over to us and actually do an interview of our courses. And that's how we and they actually did an interview of all those, you know, individual who was taking courses and why why were they interested in and that was the first year. So that, okay, maybe, you know, this is not bad at all. And then we moved on to second year and we tried to do this with the undergrad level course. And the max capacity for that course was 70 people. But the first day, uh, it was about 180 people showed up. What? Like, yeah, right? I mean, how's that That's happen? It's insane. like, <laughs> college, you know, what what college course has this kind of, kind of reception? I, I never seen that in my in my time back in college. So it was like, Okay. Never. Right. <laughs> Never. That's like the scene in a uh, Goodwill Hunting where they right, have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like Robert Williams showed up. It's like yeah, that may happen, but it's like you know, it's a totally fictitious story, right? <laughs> yeah, you just got people standing in all the different right. regions. It's like, oh wow, there's a, a lot of people here. It's like, oh, that's funny. That would never happen. Um, right, right. And and one of the one of the really most popular lecture was was done by it was a guest lecture by one. Of the, the professional team that was the coach who was a lead coach for the League of Legends in, here in Japan and what he asked for the students he gave a homework beforehand and he said so if there's any League of Legends players make sure you record your own play and bring it to the class so that he will give a live coach of your play and we had a couple of League of Legends players in the class and they were so excited to you know just make a you know live record of their play and just share it and he was just basically giving you know guidance about this is what you should you're supposed to do and this is what you should not do and it was it was it was really really well accepted and the the, the student who got feedback i think he posted on tweet and it got retweeted like a couple thousand times or something like that so it was it was really it was really buzzed back back back, back in those times that's super cool. I'm not sure I could uh, stand having a professional coach go over my gameplay and like Rocket League or anyway. stuff. He'd be like, "Yeah, he'd be like, what are you doing?" I'm like, "I don't, I don't know." <laughs> doing my best, man. Right. It's like, why did you choose a champion in the first place? And I was like, <laughs> "I don't know. I like the skin. I think it's cool." <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, professional being hard it's yeah it's it's tough and that's that's an interesting point of like hey let's introduce kids to all the other ways if you have a passion i think this sort of ties it all together so this will be my final question for you uh you know you have kids who the initial reaction is i want to be a pro player i want to be a streamer it's just like i wanted to be a shortstop when i was growing up and that was never destined to happen uh I, that was just not not gonna happen and so i changed my uh, goal for a career in sports at that time esports was hardly a thing that was really on my radar as a potential career opportunity and only when i got to college i was in sports and i was like oh i'm really passionate about esports there's a huge opportunity here and uh, it's something that i find to be really fun how can you how can parents help guide their kids into career pathways like coaching 
like brand partnerships, uh, like casting, like event management, uh, that help incorporate their love for gaming, but might not necessarily be a streamer or a pro player. You know, what could parents be doing to be like, hey, gaming is good, but also figure out what skills you want to do to find uh, a job within the wider gaming industry, within the wider esports industry, because it's a small percentage of people that become pro players and streamers. It's right. great to have that goal at the age of six or eight, like your kids, but at the age of 15, 16, you might want to start thinking about, okay, is this going to be my long-term goal? You know, am I still am I still grinding in plat, or have I really made some some moves? What can parents do, and what can educators do to help prepare kids for jobs in the wider world of esports and gaming, which has just a much higher percentage of total jobs out there than there are uh, popular streamers or pro players? That's a great question, Mitch. And I don't know if I have a like a easy, simple answer to that, but you know, as you mentioned, like it's really not about not all about like being a professional gamer or professional streamer, right? So I think we all have that moment where we reach a point that maybe, you know, we're not good enough or competitive enough to be that level. And professional, being a professional in the gaming world is same, it's the same commitment and the same devotion as being a professional in a traditional sport. Say you want to be an NBA, that's going to take a lot of investment and commitment and also talent. So uh, recognizing that, you know, I mean, gaming might have started as a, as a, as a very simple, you know, step as, you know, as a personal entertainment. But if you try to reach a professional level in terms of player or streamer, there's that, you know, uh, you're no longer playing for fun. You're, you're playing for to, to win the game or playing for creative good contents for the viewer. So that's a completely different uh, perspective as the person who used to engage game as a personal entertainment. So I think as a parent, uh, if your kid is kind of slightly towards on that, you know, professional route in terms of player or streamer, I think it's probably better to like as early as possible to make them realize that it's not only about, you know, you having fun once you get into that route, it's more about winning and creating professional contents. So uh, that's one. But, you know, other than being a professional player and streamer, as you said, there's a lot of, lot of uh, facets of, uh, you know, business professional can be involved in it. And, and the good news is that this industry is very uh, relatively early and growing very quickly. And what we found out is that uh, the very, in terms of the business ecosystem, uh, we find a very, uh, a lot of similarity with a uh, traditional sports ecosystem. And a lot of the reason hinges upon the fact that, you know, gaming, esports, has esports business has been based upon the fact that it's a very fun to watch content. So uh, if, if 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 you as a parent feel more comfortable that you know your your children uh, be more exposed to a more you know uh, matured uh, business scene, I would suggest that maybe a sports scene could be a good option. And because you know pretty much the event organizing, sponsorship teams, uh, broadcasting has a very very similar uh, stakeholders and similar dynamics. Uh, as 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 esports scene, but it's a completely different crowd, by the way. So you need to know that it's uh, we're not speaking uh, uh, in terms of the the end user and the consumer are completely different crowds. So we have to have a completely different knowledge set about the industry, about the market. So or uh, so that's traditional sports, also uh, entertainment industry itself. Uh, a lot of the content creating industry, uh, entertainment for drama or TV, uh, you know, or a documentary or whatsoever production site. I think that also has this very, very uh, good uh, similarity or a lot of the, you know, expertise in that space can be, uh, you know, utilized, make use of in the uh, esports scene as well. 
So that could be something that could be a tangent from uh, uh, esports scene uh, uh, indirectly. So that's that's my suggestion. I would say definitely, definitely. It's uh, yeah, it comes down to level of understanding and just a level of appreciation and also recognizing that hey, it's a big industry. It's only growing and it's mm-hmm. good for my kids to have knowledge about it right. at, at a core level and be like, Hey, okay. I understand Fortnite. I understand why people like to play these games. I understand why I like to play these. Uh, and then also if, uh, if I'll offer my own piece of advice, uh, I'd rather let you do it, but uh, a lot of games have different, uh, creative modes within them, Fortnite mm-hmm. especially, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, you're playing a lot of a lot of battle royale. You might be really frustrated. Well, what if we're going to channel that into you can still play Fortnite, but spend some time on Fortnite creative. Start yeah. building some things. Get those right. creative juices flowing, right. uh, and that can be really beneficial. Same thing with Minecraft mm-hmm. uh, and, and Roblox, where these kids are really building a lot of things. I used to write for a Fortnite website, and some of the kids nice. go into the code. Yeah. of the game to leak things and these uh, kids were like 14 15 years old because they're right. the ones who had time to comb through lines and lines of code that's like awesome. that's a really <laughs> uh, that's that's actually very beneficial they're using programs they're, yeah. they're understanding coding to a to a level to to look through game source data and then uh they're actually curating a following people who follow them for leaks on different things I'm like that's a genuine use of your time and you're getting legitimate valuable skills and so there's it's, again it comes down to a level of understanding about what games are and also that there are some really good avenues for kids within these games you know there's some really creative things there's some really good communication aspects again yeah if you, all your kids friends are playing fortnite you don't want to be the parent who doesn't let your kid do that because that's just mm-hmm. guaranteed to bring a meltdown like every single time right like, don't you, you, you got to recognize that, but then also understand the game and, and give some healthy alternatives, give some healthy options, maybe even within the game, because these games are doing a good job of offering some creative avenues built into the game directly. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and you know, as I said, those, those kids, kids like, you know, hacking the code and all that, like nobody's asking them to do so, right? It's so voluntary and they're all self-motivated, which is, which, right. which is really important. You know, it's not like, I mean, it's really the contents and the, you know, the dreams and all the experience that they really like about it as a gamer. And that really propels their, uh, you know, further actions towards something more educational. And I think, you know, understanding that as a parent or grandparents, that there's the actual educational side of it, uh, of this uh, within the game. I I, I think the more they understand it, I think the more we're going to have more, you know, backed by the, the society as a whole. And, you know, a lot of the times that, a lot of our clients, all the, the important decision makers are, are normally uh, more older generation than uh, we are. So it's really up to them to understand more. And then the more they understand, it's probably going to have more uh, support, either that being a financial support or that could be, a, you know, in terms of the societal acceptance. So I, I think the long, long term, I think we're, we're along that way. It's just that depending on the country, we have a different pace and there's a different way of approaching it, etc. But I think, you know, we're, we're all in a good direction as we're going right now definitely think so it's valuable to understand this space what are the best ways to understand the space if you have a very baseline knowledge and again i imagine most of the listeners to this podcast are pretty deep into esports at this point uh but if you know somebody who wants to learn more about it uh have them check out demystifying esports that's barrow's book you can tell he's an expert on what esports is and where it's going and how to explain it to somebody who doesn't totally get it so i'll give you a chance why should people check out 
uh, the book and also what else do you want them to be on the lookout for your personal socials or uh, if you go to Kyo University in Tokyo, I guess, take take the esports business class. Yeah, yeah, that, thanks, Mitch. Yeah, definitely the book. So it's it's going to be out in two weeks. I'm very excited about it. A lot of so it's very uh, there's a lot of uh, contents in it. So if you're interested, just please take a look. Another way of being involved, uh, if if you know professionally, if there's any need on uh, say uh, esports consulting side or any sort of you know uh, things that you like to talk, uh, just feel free to reach me. Uh, the best way is over on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can just search me up and then just hit me up through a uh, message there or just send me an email at the email address that I provided in the book. So uh, there's various ways of saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, discuss any sort of topic and get to know more about what's happening around the world. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I will have his guest page underneath this podcast, wherever you like to listen in. You should see uh, a little picture of Barrow with, uh, if you click on that, you can go to it and you'll see his LinkedIn. I think his email pops up there too. Uh, so you can get in contact with him directly after listening to this episode. Uh, it was great having you on the show. I'm glad we could rehash the uh, why people should understand esports and how to explain esports to friends and parents. I think this went a lot better than the time I ranted into the mic for 20 minutes. So thank you for coming on the show. It was an absolute blast. Thank you so much, Mitch. It was a lot of fun. And uh, as I told you, it was my first time being on the podcast. But this is phenomenal. This is great. Thank you so much. Ah, uh, you did way better than most veterans do. That was great. <laughs> you, did, you did great.